an old hymn, don't you? <laughs> one, one day, they just uh, jazzed it up for us a little bit. Happy for that. I, I love casting crowns. If you will, turn with me in the, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Um, da- Dad was going to preach this morning. And, um, but of course, you know, I, I sent him home with Mom to, to help take care of her, and that, that's fine. Um, but the Lord just uh, really blessed me with this um, conference that we had there in Phoenix. And I sent some pictures back. Uh, there, there were some, a um, couple of services. I, I posted my service, and then um, Pastor Max Edwards had his service after mine the next day. And just some, a good time there. Um, before I start preaching, I was reminded of this. Um, I have these printed out for every year, that, just a general card to invite people to Easter Sunday. It says Easter Sunday worship at 10 a.m. since we do it an hour earlier for Easter Sunday. But those cards are back there on the back table and you can use those to invite people to our worship service um, for Easter Sunday. And it's got, um, it's, it's got a, a, a link here to uh, the JesusFilm.org so people can look and learn about Jesus. So if you see one of these back there in the little card holder, grab one and just give them to somebody and invite them for Easter Sunday. All right, back to the sermon. <laughs> that was a little aside there. But um, Hebrews chapter 6, and uh, this, this uh, passage just uh, it blesses me, even though um, th- there's kind of a stern warning um, in the middle of it um, for believers today. But it says this, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray and ask all these things. Amen. I've often talked about it before, and it's, it's nothing new. It's a theme that keeps coming up because, you know, uh, it, it's really a part of, part of life in general, but especially in these last few years, that there's been a lot of suffering going on in the world around us. I mean, and, you know, we had the, the virus come up in 2020, and, uh, you know, that, that was devastating to a lot of people, and, and the reaction to it was equally bad, I, I think. Um, shutting things down and making telling people to stay at home and, and do all these things. I think it generated a lot of, a lot of fear and a lot of unnecessary uh, suffering. But you know, I, I don't want to get political here, but you know, the, the problem is, is that, is that as, as believers, we went through it just, just like um, people who aren't part of the church. 
um, we went through it. And we may not have, we may not know um, Christ in a relationship with Him. Um, we, we've all been through this. Uh, there, there was all kinds of political violence going on during that year of 2020. And, uh, and, and, and even after it, to, to a certain degree, and uh, people getting you know, divided and canceling each other and getting upset with each other. Uh, j- just, uh, and, 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 and then just this whole, whole thing with the, the economy, with, with high prices and inflation, it takes its toll. Um, th- prices are going up. I mean, I, I, some of you do propane. My fuel bill went up. Some of you do uh, uh, have Duke Power. Your bills in, in the wintertime went up, way up. And, uh, you know, usually I, my, my, my bills in, in, in the wintertime aren't so bad, but in the summertime, you know, it's pretty high. But my, my bill in the wintertime from, from Duke Power was pretty high this time. And, and it, it's getting harder and harder for us to, to uh, do these things. And sometimes we, we get so bad we wonder where the next, um, you know, uh, resources are going to come from to help us pay for the, these, these things. And some of us have cut back on a lot of things that, that we, we get. And food prices, I mean... You know, that everything seems to be working together here in these last four years, or five years even, to just uh, um, tear people down. And even the believers um, are having a hard time um, just, just being torn down by, by these issues of life that are going on. And it seems like that there, there's a piling on. And, and, and that on top of the, this, this normal thing, you know, I'm getting older, you're getting older. <laughs> Um, I, you know, you're feeling the effects of, of, of being older more than I am right now, but, I, but I'm, I'm not too far behind, I don't think, anymore. Um, I was remembering, uh, I came back um, uh, in, into Charlotte, and uh, the plane came in at gate A, and then I had to go to gate E, which is on the other side of the, of the Charlotte airport. If you know anything about Charlotte International Airport, that place is pretty big. And so, so at uh, uh, 51 years old, here I am uh, huffing it to, uh, to Gay E. And uh, I'll, I'll have to credit Dylan and Joanne. They got me back into exercising. And if it hadn't been for that, I probably would have died before I got there. <laughs> but, but the last uh, three or four months, I've been on the, on the treadmill pretty regularly, four days a week now. So that's, I think that helped me. But still, you know, just, it, I, was, I was probably running to get to that gate. And, um, but, but, but we're all feeling the, the effects of, of these things on our lives. And, um, you know, sometimes when things get bad enough, our, our natural reaction is, is, to, is to deprioritize um, our um, practice of our faith or, or, or to deprioritize the church or even to de, de, deprioritize our um, communion our, our prayer time with Christ, our spending time with Jesus, and, and putting our full faith and trust in Him. And, and some have even lost the, their, their faith because of this and drifting away. And that's, that's the, what Hebrews is concerned about. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I call him the preacher <laughs> because we're not quite sure. And he's preaching a, a sermon. Um, it, it could be the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, but it's, this is not a letter. It's, it's in a different format than what he would write. So we're really not, no, nobody knows the author um, of, of Hebrews for sure. But, but he, he's a preacher with a pastoral concern for his people. And he is concerned that they might drift away. And he gives a, a, a solution here to that problem. But first, let's, let's look at this. The pastor is concerned with believers 
not persevering in their faith in Christ. Persevering through the troubles and trials of life. And and, and, in the time when Hebrews was written, there was a a dispersion of of the Jewish people, um, of of Jewish believers, out of Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish people who had... had, um, um, given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, had, had recognized Him as, as the Jewish Messiah, and, and, and were faithfully serving Jesus, um, they were pushed out by some of the religious leaders. Uh, they, they had to flee this persecution. And some of them went to um, Antioch, other places. Uh, you know, if you know where Antioch is, that, that's in modern-day Syria. But they were, they were pushed out. And we're not exactly sure when Hebrews was, was written, um, but about A.D. 70, um, the Romans came in and quelled a rebellion, and this time they weren't playing around. They, they decimated the city of Jerusalem. They, they, they dispersed all the Jews throughout the Roman Empire, and, and they destroyed the, the temple and took it apart brick by brick. And so they, they were facing some pretty hard times, uh, the, the uh, Jewish converts to Christ as well, as well as the Jewish people. And they were suffering. I mean, if you're run out of your home, you run out of your livelihood, and you basically become a refugee and you're sent to these other places, you have to start eking out a living. You're going to have to start relying on some people who would hire you. You've got to find new jobs. You've got to find a new house. You know, you've got to find food. You've got to find resources. I mean... They were going through a pretty tough time, probably worse than we think of when we think about all the things that have happened since the COVID outbreak and some of the political violence and those kinds of things. They were having it pretty rough at that time. And so this preacher's concern, he had a pastoral concern for his people, possibly drifting away from their faith in Christ, their newfound faith in Christ, and, and falling back into their old life of, of, um, of, of, of sin and, and disobedience and rejection of God. And so he, he, he writes this sermon and he tells them here, he says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So he says here, Let, let's move beyond the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now some versions will say perfection there. Um, we're not talking about a perfection of an absolute perfection where everything in my life is right, but it's talking about having a perfect heart towards Christ. And, and in fact, um, you know what he's really saying here, um, the Apostle Paul echoes in Ephesians, and this is what Paul said when he talked about being a perfect person or, or perfect manhood. It's not about having no faults whatsoever, but it's this. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, the fullness of Christ means that Christ has filled my life in every single area. I'm fully surrendered to Him. I, I, I've received all the benefits of what He's done um, through His cross, through, through suffering and dying for my sins. And, and, and I have believed in that by faith, and I have repented of it, and I have received all of it. And, and uh, my heart is, is full of Jesus Christ. So much so 
that I no longer desire to sin, but I want Christ's perfect law of love, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what the um, pastor wants us to do is, is, is to move beyond the, the beginning of our faith. He, he says the elementary doctrines. The beginning of our faith is when we first receive Christ as our Savior and ask Him to forgive us of our sins and received Him because only He can forgive our sins and make us right before God. He says we, we have to move beyond that and, and, and to all the fullness of Christ that He has for us. And he believes that, that by moving on into the fullness of Christ of all that He has for us will help us to persevere in these troublesome times and when times get hard and, and when things get rough. And so he says, yeah, let, let's move beyond. Uh, to, um, and he uses maturity here. That, that's fine. Um, I, I prefer the term perfection, but we have to understand what perfection is because everybody else believes that perfection means I don't make any mistakes whatsoever. That's not it. It's about receiving all the fullness of Christ's perfection in our lives. But anyway, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. When we first heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what, what was the gospel? Repent and believe the, the good news that comes from God. Repent and believe the good news. When we repent of our sins, we believe in Jesus Christ. He sweeps in and He forgives us. He, he strengthens us. He gives us the presence of His Holy Spirit within our hearts and lives. And He blesses us. And, and in that moment, um, that, that there's a transformation. We call it being born again that happens, a new birth. All these wonderful things happen. But that's the beginning of our journey. That's just the start. Then he talks about and instructions about washings and laying on of hands. Now, I'm not really sure 100% what, what that means by that, or the scholars don't, don't really know 100% sure. But I think about the whole book of Acts. The washings involved baptism, of course. And what is baptism? Baptism is our initiation into the body of Christ, the church. It's our initiation into the body of Christ. I always talk about there's, there's, there's the visible and then there's the invisible. The invisible is when we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and to God because we don't see God, we don't see His kingdom yet, but we know that His kingdom is there and, and through the Holy Spirit, um, He comes and, and um, gives, gives Himself to us, gives His kingdom to us, and um, we, we accept His reign and rule in our hearts even though we don't see the visible kingdom yet. The visible part that exists right now is the church. The church is the visible representation of God's kingdom. So when we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, then that's an invisible thing. But when we get baptized and testified to that salvation, that, that is the visible part that brings us into the church. So we're, start, we're talking about the beginning of our faith. Baptism is the beginning of our faith. And then the laying on of hands. Whenever they went through the book of Acts... Um, the apostles would lay hands on people and they would receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive God's Holy Spirit. He's saying that that's the beginning of the journey and that we need to move beyond that. 
And he says, and, and this, and he also talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We know that that's true because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered, he died for our sins, and then he rose again to eternal life so that we would have eternal life. And then he is coming again to judge the world for all of its sins and then welcome the righteous into his kingdom. Again, that's the basic belief of Jesus Christ. That's our basic confession of the faith. It's the beginning of what he wants to do in our hearts and lives. But even more than that, when he, when he talks about the warning, he says that, that those who have first received salvation have been enlightened and they share in the Holy Spirit, and they, and they tasted the goodness of God, of the Word of God, how good it is. And, and they, they've, tested, you know, they, they've tasted of the powers of the age to come. When we become saved, we, we share in Christ, we share in the Holy Spirit, we share in the glories of all that. But He's warning them that if you stay right there at the beginning of your faith, what's going to happen is you're going to start regressing. Because if you're not progressing, you're regressing, right? If you're not progressing, you're regressing. And that's true in every area of life. That, that, that's true in every part of our lives. If we're not moving forward in some way or another, all we're going to do is, is just regress. Um, especially when we think about children. Um, we're happy when a, when a child is born. It's, it's small, it's weak. But, but the doctor will look at it and it's got... You know, all, all ten fingers and, 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 and all ten toes and, and uh, you know, two eyes and, and a nose and two ears and a mouth. You say, okay, this baby is perfect. Now, after a year, if that baby is still uh, tiny and wriggling and, and all this stuff and, and hasn't grown any, um, that's going to be a big cause for concern. And he'll, he'll say, this baby needs to something quick. It needs, needs some medicine, it needs to put on weight, it need, needs something. It's the same thing with us. If, 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 if we're staying just in our salvation, our initial salvation, and all we're concerned, concerned about is the, this idea of, of um, okay, I, I, I'm a sinner and I need to repent. I'm a sinner, I need to repent. Um, all we're going to do is end up regressing. That, that, that's a pretty shallow faith. And I'm sad to say there's a whole wing of evangelical Christianity around us, some well-meaning brothers and sisters who say all we'll ever do is sin every day in word, deed, and thought. And there's nothing we can do about it. And you've heard the old phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Friends, if you're saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner. <laughs> Amen? Amen. That, that's hard for us to receive. If you've been saved by grace, you no longer have to be called a sinner because your life does no longer has to be characterized by sin. Christ's power has overcome that. He, he's broken that, that power over you. Might we still sin? Of course we will. Do we still make, make mistakes, maybe unintentional kinds of sins? Yes, of course we will. But our life does not no longer have to be characterized by this intentional rebellion towards God. Where, where we say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and, no, and God can't tell me what I should or shouldn't do. That's the kind of sin that we can, we can, be, we can overcome in Christ. And it's His transforming power. And so what He, he says here, and, and, and he, He's concerned about, is He says it's impossible for, in, in the case 
For those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word and God of powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. He says it's impossible for a person who has become saved and then turn away from that salvation to be saved. Now, I would say that we we need to read this a little bit carefully because it says it's impossible for them to do this, but it's not impossible with God. It's impossible because they've made it impossible. Why? The rest of that that phrase in verse 6 there, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Every time we reject God and turn away from Him and go back to our own devices and, and, and refuse to listen to Him, and, and we keep telling you know, God's Spirit who is with us, no, what we're really doing is we're hurting the very heart of God. And it's just like we've re-crucified Jesus again. But when we stop ourselves from crucifying Jesus again, and putting Him to open shame, and realize that what we're doing is wrong, and we repent of our sins, God can bring us back, because nothing shall be impossible with God. It might be impossible for us to come back because we have so hardened our hearts, but when we become sensitive and listening to God calling us, we can return to Him. Now, what's the solution to this whole situation, though? Why, why even fall back and, and regress in the first place? Why, why even put ourselves in jeopardy again before God? Why, why, why turn away from our salvation in the first place? The solution is for us, and it's in, in the rest of Hebrews here, is, is to put our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ, who is the one who can transform us. He says in here in chapter 6, at the very beginning when we were reading this, he said, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and move on to perfection. And he says, and we will do this, Lord permitting. And this introduces a whole section where he talks about Christ and how great and wonderful his sacrifice is. The the sacrifices that that happened in the Old Testament where God taught the people how to worship him because uh, those sacrifices were substitutionary. Um, He allowed the blood of goats and bulls and animals to... um, die in our place because we so deserve death and, 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 and we could not even be in God's presence because of His absolute goodness and, and our absolute sin but God made a way for us and He said I'll, allow, I'll, I'll, I'll give you grace if you'll sacrifice these bulls and goats well that was all God's plan from the beginning that He would offer the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus Christ, His Son, would raise up His hand, volunteer, and say, Lord, I'll go and save these people. I'll, I'll, I'll go and sacrifice myself for this. But not only is, is, is this superiority of Christ important, I mean, His sacrifice was very important. And only His sacrifice could, could turn hearts of people back to where it needed to be. And if you go on a little bit here, um, in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11... You know, if you want to look it up, that's fine, but I'll just read it. 
Later on, he says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the language of transformation. That's taking God's holy standard for us, His law, and putting it in our hearts. What does that mean? Well, it means that because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, um, we, we have God's law in our hearts and we love to do what God asks us to do instead of always butting up against it. He takes it and puts it into our hearts. That's, that's transformation. And he says in, in here in, in verse 11 of Hebrews 8, they shall all, I mean, no one will say to his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. In other words, they would know the Lord not just by their head knowledge, but by their relationship with Him. All the fullness of Christ coming into your life. He talks about this in Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls... Uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 9, 11, and 14. He talks about this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify... For the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? In other words, the, the blood of, 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 of the bulls and the goats in the Old Testament only offered us an outward kind of cleansing for sin. But when Christ suffered and died, He purified our very conscience within our hearts and lives from our sin, so that sin can no longer have any power over us. So you've got the idea of transformation and then purification. And that's what God has available for all of us who are believers today. God has the, this transforming power by His grace and the purifying presence of Christ, which purges us of our sins and helps us to live as we should for Him. It's not in our own power. It's all that Christ does for us. We just have to fully surrender to Him. And as it says in Hebrews uh, 12, um, one of my favorite verses of Scripture here, Hebrews 12, and maybe you've heard it too, Hebrews 12, 1 and 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, other believers that have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight, and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm always reminded that, you know, as I was saying, we suffer in this life, we're tested in our faith, um, things happen to, to make us drift away from, from God and Christ again. But here he's saying that Christ suffered too. And if we're ever worried about our suffering, we should look at Christ's suffering. And Christ fully identified with all of us in, our, in His own suffering. Christ suffered in this life and He overcame. We suffered in this life. We can overcome. How? By looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith expecting all the fullness of Christ 
in our hearts and lives. What we need is, is a surrender to that. Even beyond the first salvation that we see, we need to surrender to that if we want to get these things from Jesus. And God loves us. Oh, He loves us. He's pursuing us, folks. I, I read this book years ago called The God Chasers and how this one preacher was talking about how he um, sought after all these experiences of chasing God. And I'm sorry, but I, I had big problems with that book because the thing is, is that God is pursuing us. He's pursuing you and He's pursuing me. And all we got to do is turn around and receive Him. And how do we receive Him? We receive His Son, Jesus Christ, who through His own death made it possible for us to experience God's goodness. He suffered and died. And His blood purifies us from all our sins. And then we have to continue looking to Jesus all the way until we reach our death or until He comes again. And when we fully surrender to Him and fix our eyes on Him and follow Christ, He'll give us all the fullness that we need. This is, the, this is the, all that John Wesley meant, for those of you who have been in the Methodist church for a long time, all John Wesley meant by entire sanctification is that we receive the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is what we receive so that we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes pastors preach that and they talk about it like, you know, you, you've got small Christians and you've got the big Christians over here. Or, or you, you, you've got the ones with some faith and the ones with a lot of faith. That's, he's not making differences between Christians. He's saying that this whole journey of life that you're going through should be increasing in, in your fullness of, of the stature of the, uh, excuse me, increasing in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in your heart and life all the way to the end so that when, when, when you uh, reach that, that glorious heavenly land, you're ready to meet Him. And we dare not let sufferings or, or these tests of faith that come along to pull us away because if, if, if we throw up our hand to God and we throw up our hand to His salvation, we can definitely lose it. I don't even like the term lose it. I would say forfeit it. Because we've hardened our hearts to God, all, all the wonderful things that He has for us. We dare not let the things of life cloud our goal in Jesus Christ. Many of you are suffering here today. Many of you have, have trials and things that you're going through that you need help with. Christ can help you. God can help you. You can come up to this altar and pray, and I'll pray with you if you want. You could pray there at your seat and just say, you know, if you've never received Christ as Savior, of course, you want to say, Lord, I believe in you. And I know that, that I'm a sinful person, and, and I know that I'm going through all this suffering in life, and I've heard that you can help me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. And I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, who has made a way for me. And I ask that Jesus would come into my heart and life and cleanse me of my sins. I need you, Lord. And He'll do it. He'll rush in on you. And you'll know it. But many of you here who are believers have been going along in life and you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like the, you know, this, the, the, the troubles and trials of life are dragging you away from Christ.
And, and maybe you just need a fresh surrender to Him so that you can fix your eyes on Him and let Him completely transform you and completely purify you so that you can reach to the fullness that all that Christ has. All you got to do, it's also a thing of faith. He said, Lord, I surrender my whole life to you. Fill me with all the goodness of Christ. Fill me, Lord. Dispel my sin. Help me to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. And help me to love others as much as I love myself. And he'll do that for you. And, and, and this all becomes a pastoral concern. We talk so much about holiness. We talk so much about sin and those kinds of things. Yes, but when you give your heart and life fully over to Christ, He'll help you through those struggles. We don't need that to have a weak faith. We, we, we don't need to fall every time something happens. Christ can help us and strengthen us if we'll but look to Him. Let's stand.